listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Indeed, welcome to the show. It's the Frat Files Podcast, your fortnightly foray into guitar geekery. I'm all by myself today. No co-host, and that's all right, because we're going to do an interview with my buddy Dave Stoudy. We interviewed Dave on the podcast a few years ago, and I want to I want to touch base with him again. He's moved. Um, he's not working for anybody else now. He's gone on out on his own. He's building guitars and repairing guitars in Texas, and I wanted to catch up with him because he's always got interesting things to say, and he and I seem to have uh, parallel views on a lot of things, on on guitar repair and just guitars in general, so it's always a fun conversation with Dave. Sometimes we talk on the phone. And uh, we, so I wanted to do another interview with him. But before we do that, Let's just get some uh, let's get some business out of the way, and then we'll have Dave Stoudy after this. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, "Eric, where can I get one?" Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at PlayersGearMusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music. You can order a neck straightening iron some people call it a neck press or a neck heater it is an invaluable tool in my shop i use it all the time i'd be lost without one of these i i love having a neck straightening iron and rick is making a really really stout industrial it, I, I think it i think it's the best one that i've used and i've i've used a lot i've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s but they don't sell them anymore well now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com they're 749 i know that seems like a lot it's it's a tool i tell you what it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over if you go to playersgearmusic.com Scroll down on the main page, scroll, scroll, scroll down to where it says Fan of the Fret Files Podcast. You click that, that adds one to your cart, and it's fifty bucks off. So instead of seven forty nine, it's six ninety nine. Six ninety nine, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron, playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out. And don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. 
This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just cut a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. As you know from listening to the show, I repair and restore guitars. If you go over to ericdaw.com and see information about guitar repair and guitar restoration, you can contact me there. If you've got some guitar restoration or pickup rewinding, anything that you need done, if you want to see the custom guitars that I build, you can go over to pinupcustomguitars.com. There's a whole lot of guitars on there that have been sold, but I also post new arrivals there all the time. They go quick, so check often. The best way to get into the loop is to submit your email address on the uh, on the homepage of that website, and that'll add you to my email list, and you'll get a heads up when there's new guitars available. That's pinupcustomguitars.com and ericdaw.com. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Good. How are you, Eric? Man, I'm doing great. I, I can't complain. Nice. I'm, well, I'm sure we both could, but we don't want to talk about that. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm finally feeling better. <laughs> I've been sick for like almost two months, and I'm finally feeling better, so that's... I'm I'm real happy about that. That's wonderful news. I could kind of hear it in your voice on the, the last episode. Yeah. The last few episodes. Yeah, right, yeah. But, but like, better on the last one, you were still... Yeah. a little bit. Yeah, like the last four episodes have been kind of rough. I had COVID, I'm pretty sure, although I never tested positive. And then I got better almost immediately, and then almost immediately got worse again. Um, it, Like a secondary kind of thing, you know? And, oh, man. And they put me on a, a steroid. They put me on prednisone, which was worse than being sick. Ooh. Yeah, it was rough. Anyhow... That's not what we're here to talk about. So, Dave, <laughs> last time we talked, man, I think it was early 2020, like February of 2020. Um, oh, I think it was longer than that. Maybe it was. I don't know. But it's been a few years for sure. And you were in San Diego yeah. back then. Yes. But yes. You, you, you're no longer in San Diego. Is that correct? Yes. <clears throat> Where are you now? I'm in New Braunfels, Texas, which is in between... San Antonio and Austin on I-35 freeway. And you just, did you just move there this year? No, we moved here um, the first week of January 2021. Oh, okay. So you've been there. And then it snowed three weeks later. (laughs) I don't know if you saw the news, the whole state shut down. No. Power outages. Yeah. It was kind of a mess. Well, what uh, what took you to Texas? I know in, in San Diego you were working for Taylor Guitars, is that right? Yeah, both myself and my wife. Yeah. Yes. And so what brought you to Texas? Uh, well, it was more of uh, the whole state of California was failing, is oh, failing. Yeah. Well, say no more. I know. <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah. Not okay. to get into politics. No. Um, but it was just. It was everything. I mean, I had been at Taylor for 23 years. I moved there in 97 from Denver. 
Yeah. Uh, my wife had been there for 28 years um, at Taylor, and the state was failing, our city was failing, the schools are failing. It's sad. Um, it's sad. It's a lot of the same reasons I left Seattle, you know. Right. I was there for 15 years, and it was culture shock for me when I went there, but things were working, and I just slowly saw, like, this decline in everything. It was scary. And I thought, man, I'm getting out of here before things get way worse. And I'm glad I did. They did get way worse, you know, and everybody seemed, everybody seemed to follow like our population in Idaho has exploded. Yes. You know, refugees from, I mean, you don't want to call them refugees, but you know, people fleeing the coastal states. Uh, yeah, it's very strange. Strange times we live in. Are you? Yeah, I had started looking at moving in 2019. Yeah, it wasn't kind of a spur of the moment thing. Yeah, and then the yeah. COVID hit, and I was like, "Holy crap! How's this going to work?" Yeah. I already have plans. Yeah, uh, I talked to a real estate agent in San Diego, and then I found one in Texas, and he's like, "No, they both said people are still buying and selling houses. Don't let COVID stand in your way." And... Well. And then there was a big real estate boom, so you you got in just before that. Oh, geez, yeah. As soon as we hit the door here, um, we rented a house, but then the real estate just instantly started going up. Um, like, literally, I mean, we rented a house for, we signed a lease for eight months. Yeah. And month by month, I was just watching it incrementally go up, up you know, 10%, 20%, almost 30%. Yeah, wild times. That's some of the places we were looking at. Yeah. And it was like, we finally made it into a house, though. And yeah. we're very grateful for that. Real estate prices here have just about doubled since I moved back in mm-hmm. 2017. Yeah. That's that's a lot for five years to double. Yeah, that's 100%. It's unsustainable. But we didn't, uh, we, <laughs> we didn't uh, come here to talk about that either. I want to talk about guitars, man. Are you, yeah. Uh, do you have a uh, a repair shop set up in in Texas now, or are you? Yes, I just am getting my garage set up. I've done some repair work. I've got three acoustics I'm working on. Um, it's about eighty percent functional. Yeah. I have my spray booth, but it's not set up. Uh, I might just have to blow it right out the front of the garage. But uh, I've been spraying outside for now, which I've yeah. had many years' experience with. I could write a book on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I did that when I was in uh, Seattle a little bit. You know, if it's a clear day, and it's actually kind of dust-free outside if you pick the right day. Yeah, the humidity's a little more here, so i got to time that window. Yeah. Uh, mornings is definitely can be like 80% humidity, so that doesn't work. Hmm. Uh, evenings, right towards dusk, I find the wind starts to die down. The humidity still hasn't kicked back up. Hmm. Um, and I can get a few coats on and then hang it up in the garage and shut the door. Wow. So are you building guitars too? Yeah, I've got three acoustics I'm working on. Okay. Um, and I've done some repair work. Funny how these things come in waves. It's all been electronics and pickup replacement. Oh, yeah. I've been talking about that on the podcast, how things come in waves. Are, it's not just you, man. It has no. Me too. It's a universal thing. Every every repair guy I talk to, it's really strange. 
I wonder if the same holds true for like auto mechanics. Next time I take my car in, I'm going to ask my mechanic, hey, do things come in in waves? Like, yeah. do you get five transmission problems in a row? It's, it's some... And five brake jobs. Yeah, it's some weird universal thing. No, it is. Sometimes it can work out really good, especially if it's finish related. Right. You know, yeah, you're going to be yeah. doing finish touch-ups, and it's like, great, I got five of these things. I can spray them all same time. Yeah, yeah, it saves time. Or like, oh, I'm I'm all set up to do fret jobs, and here I have three of them. Yep. What name are you building guitars under? Is it, do you have a brand name or just using your name? Um, no, my name, my last name is Stouty. That doesn't really work. Um, yeah, I hear you. I was adopted, mm. so <laughs> it doesn't have the, the weight of a, of a generational um, name that would, would carry for me anyways. Now, I picked the name uh, 49 Calamath Street Guitar Company. That was the address where I learned all this stuff in Denver. Calamath Street? Uh, Calamath. K-A-L-A-M-A-T-H. Oh. So it's 49 Calamath Street Guitar Company. That's cool. And I just put a 49 on my peg head. Oh, that's very so cool. That makes it real easy. Yeah. And if people ask, hey, what's the 49? What's yeah. the address of the shop I learned? Yeah. Crazy stuff. And I hear you about using a, a slightly different last name on your guitars. I mean, my last name, Daw, is simple enough, but in the music world, it's a digital audio workstation. Oh, and right. And you don't want people trying to find your guitars, and they can't under, uh, you know, like... 10,000 pages of digital audio workstation stuff would show up in a Google search before my guitars would show up. So, yeah. Exactly. No, you you have a great moniker for your name your, and your whole vibe. Oh, thanks. Perfect. Yeah, I, it's just an idea I came up with a long time ago. Although I do build, occasionally I do build an Eric Daw custom guitar, and that's, you know, that's fine. That works. Um. So what's your goal, man? Are you going to get set up to do full-time building Full-time repair, a little of both? A uh, little of both. No, i got to get back into the repairs, get some money coming in. Um, you're going to make more repairing um, until you get fully established. So yeah. the repair work is quick and easy, and it's it's. Um, I'm not 100% ready. I still need to buy a table saw. I had to sell a lot of my bigger tools when I left. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, like it's, my dust yeah. collector and my table saw. And yeah. It's hard to travel with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I filled up two pod boxes of yeah. of yeah. shop. Yeah. And I had it shipped out here. Yeah, I did the same thing. I filled up a semi-trailer full of house oh, nice. household goods and, you know, my shop, drill press and dust collection and everything. I brought yeah. almost, I brought almost everything with me. But I've been buying a lot of, I've been finding a lot of great tools on Facebook Marketplace. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I've always been a Craigslist guy. Yeah, that's good too. It seems like Craigslist has, is, or at least in my area, has uh, really slowed down. Not very many people post on it anymore. Yeah. It's usually the older people. Yeah. I guess it depends on the area like that a, you're in. Yeah. My Craigslist is kind of weird here. Mm -hmm. Also, it's not. Um, I've been trying to sell some antique furniture that I don't have room for, and it's been hmm. tricky. But I found, you know, I'm on a budget, right? So, but if I need some some kind of saw or some kind of gear, I can I can go down to like Harbor Freight and buy 
kind of a junky Chinese-made one, or for probably the same price, I can go on Facebook Marketplace and find a good quality, maybe five or ten year old one that works well, and that's money better spent, I think. Yeah, and do you, can you search tools? Is yeah. That... Oh yeah. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. No, virtually all my tools are. They're all used. Yeah, secondhand uh, is the way to go, man. Yeah, on a lot of things. I bought my 14-inch Powermatic fan saw is the only new tool I bought, and the spray boots. Hmm. I'm looking around. Everything else is um, old, Yeah, older than I am. Some yeah, sometimes. Like, man, I really want to find, like, a really cool industrial. I have, you know, this vision of, like, a weird color 1950s. Um, bandsaw. I want to find an old green, like cool old bandsaw because the one I have is junk. So I want to replace it with some vintage thing. <clears throat> I'm just keeping my eyes peeled. Yeah, there's some old like Davis and Wells and stuff that's they're so heavy you almost need a crane to move them. But are you familiar with T.K. Smith, the luthier? Yeah, yeah. Man, I saw pictures of his shop and like all of his tools are like what you would see in the fender factory in the 50s it's it's like just this amazing (laughs) collection of vintage uh shop tools it's great yeah we had a bunch of those old bandsaws at taylor oh i I bet oh man you could turn that thing on and you can balance a nickel on the table and it won't even vibrate or fall over i love it because the whole body is cast iron yeah weighs you know 500 pounds Right. So when you're running a board through there, it doesn't even, it just goes through like butter. Yeah, things were... There's no vibration at all. Yeah, things were built to last back then, man. This stupid bandsaw I have right now won't even cut a straight line. It's awful. You have to really be patient with it. Right. It's it's tough. Tell me about Texas as far as guitar humidification goes. Uh, Is it a different challenge than being in San Diego? Uh, Probably only in the wintertime. Yeah. The summer, um, my garage stays at 50%. Even I had had to put a air conditioning unit in my garage mm-hmm. just to, to, to be out here. Um, I found out there's insulation in the walls. I could put a little more in the ceiling and I'll be golden. Um, but no, it's, there's plenty of humidity in the summer. Um, the winter, it does get dry. San Diego is actually a lot more dry than, most people would think it's considered a coastal desert. Hmm. Um, we can get these Santa Ana winds come through that drop the humidity down to 15%. Oh, really? And it can stay like that for a week at a time. Well, that surprises yeah, I mean, me. they, there's buildings at Taylor where they're pumping in like a thousand gallons of water. Wow. A day <clears throat> just to keep uh, climate control, you know, big fans with misters behind them. It's just pushing a cloud of moisture. Yeah. Um, so guitars do dry out in San Diego. Um, sure. I would, I would have thought it would have been a bigger challenge in Texas, but things get super dry here in the winter, especially. Oh yeah. Well, I grew up in Denver. So I was 25. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same climate. What, what do you do for acoustic humidification? What do you, uh, how do you handle that? You know, I like the, (laughs) the dampets. Um, yeah, that's the humidipacks. We we used at Taylor. They actually used us as a like a beta testing ground. Oh really? Um, our repair shop, yeah. Um, 
and they had a lot of failure in the beginning. Hmm. Uh, where the, the it's salt that's in there oh, and really? moisture, and yeah. the the little bag, the original, it's a like a reverse osmosis. You know, it lets moisture in and takes it goes both ways. The yeah. Little pouch. Well, if it dried out completely or got pretty dry, these the the salt in there would crystallize and poke holes in the bag. Oh. And then the fluid would leak out. Oh. Huh. And then stain guitars. Sure. And that salty stain, you can't get it out. Wow. Um, even if you refinish it, it's there permanently. Yeah. So it took them a long time to get to figure out the right um, to make sure that didn't happen. Oh, that's wild. I've never I, I never heard that. Pr- pretty sure they have. They've got it figured out and dialed in. Yeah. Um, but the, I just like those big green dampets. Yeah, the dampet is the green tube with the, the yellow sponge inside, right? Yep. Yeah, I like those too. I I make my own in the shop. One, one of the things I do, you know, the first thing I do when I check in a guitar in the winter, if it doesn't have a humidifier in the case, first of all, I talk to the owner about that. Yep. And then uh, I'll stick one of my homemade humidifiers in the guitar to kind of acclimate it because <clears throat> trying to do adjustments on a guitar that's that's not humidified properly is just a waste of time because yeah. y- you know you, you've got to get it to, you know acclimated and humidified properly before you can see truly what's going on with the guitar so but I just make and my you- own I, I think did we talk about this last time well, I just make my own out of uh, little maybe soap containers or Ziploc bags and just put a sponge in there. Easy to do. Yeah, just drill by the travel soap box and mm-hmm. drill some holes in it. Yeah, yep. ab- absolutely. Works fine. I've seen um, tons of customers. I mean, 19 years in the repair department, Taylor would you know, send in their guitars, and they would have those in there. Yeah. They yeah. work just fine. Yeah. I do like the Music Nomad ones, though, also, that have that blue tube. With the gel in there, oh yeah, fill up with water. Mm-hmm. Um, that works really good, and that's a great visual for a customer as they see that thing shrink up. Right. The yeah. tricky part with that thing is though, there's the gel that's in there. So it, if it shrinks all the way down to like a raisin, and you go to fill it up, and you overfill it, it and it overflows, you might lose some of the the gel. Mm-hmm. You can buy replacement gel, so you just have to be careful when you fill it up. But it's a great visual for a customer to, you know, they they leave their guitar in there for three weeks and then they come back and it's half shrunk and they're like, "Wow!" Yeah, they they can see. I'm. This is working. Every time I try to initiate someone into the world of acoustic guitar humidification, they you you kind of get the sense that you're trying to enlist them for some part-time job like they feel overwhelmed by it like oh my now i have to you know every day i have to check this thing and my guitar it's like no it's not that big a deal man like how often you're probably going to pick it up at least once a week anyway right i mean unless you're just not a player it's just not that big of a deal to add a little bit of water to your to the sponge and i see tons of posts online of people I've got 30 and 40 year old Martins and they've never needed humidification. Oh, I, I know. don't know why my brand new guitar, you must have made it out of green wood or something. I hear that all the time. And I tell people. But you get guitars that get, are actually get to be 30, 40, 50 years old. In my opinion, they've kind of self 
um, torrified almost to where the cells aren't um, absorbing and losing moisture. Mm-hmm. You know, they start to, to crystallize and they just get stuck. They do stabilize, you... but but on the other hand, I see 50-year-old guitars that'll come in with a crack for the first time. Yeah, you probably do in your area. So, you know, it's something to keep up on, even on vintage guitars that seem like they've acclimated. True, true. I mean, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't hurt. But it depends on your location. You know, when I lived in Seattle, um, case humidifiers, just nobody even thought about it because yeah. the humidity over there is just fine for for guitars. You might actually have seen lots of guitars that were over-humidified. Oh, yeah, over-humidified. Yeah, like somebody's basement would flood and they'd, <clears throat> you know, then they'd have a real problem when their guitar cases are down in the basement, but... Hey, you sent me some weird picture of like, what is this? Is this steel wool wrapped up in? Du- That's my steel wool hack. Oh, tell me, yeah. tell me about it. Well, I know you hate steel wool. I uh, love, and... love slash hate. You know, it works. Right. It works, but those dang particles get everywhere, and that's a real bad problem when you're working with magnets and pickups. Yeah, on your end for sure. I don't make my own pickups, so. Um, we've always used steel wool on acoustics. Um, but if you unroll the pad and cut some strips and then roll them up really tight with the grain, you're basically making like a paintbrush. Hmm. Roll it up as tight as you can and wrap it with tape and then trim off the ends. So your steel wool is just all like end grain. So you get like a, the, you get like a, the fibers. a half inch of steel wool sticking out on either end or just one end. Uh, just usually it's one end. Hmm. And so then, and you, then you can you can use bridges and yeah. boards and stuff. So you yeah. use the tape as a handle, and it, it probably yeah. probably makes the steel wool last longer, doesn't it? Oh, it does, and it doesn't. I'm not going to say it doesn't fall apart and you won't get particles, but you'll probably get like eighty percent less. That is great. If you just grabbed a handful of it and started scrubbing a fingerboard. Man, that is really great. You know. <laughs> It's it. <clears throat> it reminds me of um, there's like a you know rosin that that they use on their bows for violins, and they they peel the paper back as they wear it down. Like mm-hmm. seems like you could peel the tape back a little bit as you as you wear it down. Yeah, exactly. Like one of those pencils, like a, a wax pencil. Wow, that's cool. I like that hack, man. I'm gonna start doing that. Yeah, give it a try. Try to just roll it up really tight, all the fibers in the same direction. And that's what the four-aught steel wool, so I don't know, maybe if you use three or two, I haven't tried it with a heavier gauge, maybe those would be even less shedding of particles. Maybe. I almost never use the the coarser steel wool. I use the very fine stuff for, you know, polishing frets and like that. You sent me a list here of things we can talk about. <clears throat> sanding out a fingerboard by hand. What's your thoughts on that? That's probably one of the most important things I ever learned to tailor. Um, Are you talking about radiusing a fingerboard by hand? No, uh, um, like refretting a guitar. Oh, okay. So you you pull Re- the... Virtually every guitar needs some kind of adjustment when you pull the frets, other than just um, planing it flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... In my beginning, I just thought if I, of course, the radius is there. Okay, you got your 
whatever your 12 or 14 inch radius and you have a straight edge i would try to make my neck as dead flat as possible over that whole radius yeah and i'd fret it string it up and it would buzz in certain areas um and i didn't know why and hmm. so i'd have to do kind of a creative fret dress to mow down those areas i'm losing some of my brand new frets mm-hmm. to get it to play right well when i got to taylor um they taught me how to sand out a fingerboard with a straight edge, but you're adjusting the truss rod the whole time. Hmm. I mean, you check it when you get the frets out, but when you tighten that truss rod, you want it to back bow right in the middle where it should around the sixth or seventh fret, right? Sure. And then you loosen it to where it's maybe about flat. And then we take the, the, the straight edge we use is a machinist straight edge yeah. with a polished edge on it. If you kind of just slide that around um, over the fingerboard with a very light touch and kind of teeter-totter it, like it would teeter-totter in the middle of a yeah. backbowed neck, sure, you might find a little bump here and there, mm. especially like in acoustics, you get that <clears throat> compression bump around the ninth fret, 10th yeah. fret over many years. Sure. Well, that has to be removed, and then you loosen the truss rod, and then you slowly tighten it back up. So it's flat and you check for more bumps. Sure. I can see. Because what if you think it's perfectly flat, you fret it, string it up, tighten the truss rod, and it back goes on the base side and the treble side stays flat. Yeah. I mean, necks are, they're weird. Yeah. And they're made out of wood and they're not, you know, some precise, you know, me- no. metal engineering. I can see how using the machinist's straight edge on like ebony you can you would polish a little spot on a on a high point yeah you can actually burnish it yeah also yes yeah that's, that works better for some guys that's cool uh so like for rosewood and ebony that would work really well you know the challenges that i always have <clears throat> i do a lot of vintage fender refrets on maple fingerboards yeah and the guys and i feel the same way but the owners do not want to lose that original finish and all the the patina and wear that are that's on the maple. Yeah. And so there's really nothing you can do for uh fingerboard inconsistencies and and there always are some. Yep. Always. I mean especially you know on an old guitar um it's just not going to be perfectly true. <clears throat> but you don't want to lose that finish. So, you know, there's all kinds of workarounds that I've developed to, to try to, to try to remedy that situation. But so it just depends on the guitar. You know, if I'm working on a, a modern Martin, say with a, with an ebony fingerboard, then what you're talking about is, is great and perfectly viable. But on a vintage fender with a maple fingerboard, what I have to do is basically, um, a lot of times I'll have to, heat press them with a heat press to correct whatever's going on. Hmm, yeah, sure. And that's an imperfect science. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, you can get closer, but you, it's not super precision. And so what, right. you, what you end up having to do generally is fret the neck and then take high spots off of the top of the frets, which sucks, but it's a better option than losing the finish. But what you can do, if you've if you've got uh, a neck that you know is going to need to be leveled quite a bit, I I get fret wire that uh, 
is the same width as the vintage Fender fret wire. So it's 40, yeah. it's 40 thousandths uh, wide. <clears throat> but It's like 55 tall or something? Yeah, but it's tall. No, it's 8, I'm sorry, 80. 80 thousandths wide. So it'll be 80 wide by 40 tall is the, is the vintage size. But I can get from, Stuart McDonald has narrow, tall frets. So you can yep. use, it's the same width, but it's taller. I think it's 50 thousandths tall. Which gives yeah, you yeah, I love that wire. Yeah, I do too. It, and it gives you a little bit of uh, it gives you a little bit of more a little more life. It gives wiggle you more room. yeah height on the frets and uh, a little more wiggle room for those high spots that you have to trim down. Yeah, I always had. Um, I can't imagine um, doing a refret like that. That, but I mean, all your techniques. Um, that that's exactly what you'd have to do. But I've just seen so many fender necks that have relief from the first fret to the last fret. You know, they've got that kick up on the, you know, frets 14 through 20 or 21. Yeah, I call it a ski jump, you know, where they'll, the, yep. the, the truss rod is adjusting from the first fret to about the, you know, 14th fret. And then where the neck gets, um, fatter, you know, where the heel is, where it attaches to the body. In the pocket. Yeah, then that's a, it's, it's, there's more mass there, there's more wood, and it just has, it's just, it just reacts differently. Plus, the truss rod doesn't really affect that last few inches of the neck, because the truss rod nut is there, and that's going in about yeah. an inch, you know, and the truss rod doesn't really start compressing the neck until a few inches in, so... Uh, yeah, oftentimes it's that very end of the neck that you have to shave some off the top. <clears throat> it's got, because they develop what I call the fender ski jump. Yep. What do you what do you do for pore filler? I've been talking to a lot of guys that are using super glue lately. Uh, I've used it. Um, I'm kind of a traditionalist, like the guitars I build. I use the, the um, original Balin... Mohawk, um, oh yeah, silic silicon-based stuff. Yeah, it's oil. like a paste, real paste filler. Mm -hmm. Same stuff that Martin uses. Um, yeah, uh, there's. I've had some friends experiment with some of that, like Crystalac and the newer water-based stuff. Yeah, that looks great. I would like to try that to just save on some time. Um, but I've used super glue. Um, mainly at the factory, we've made tens of thousands of guitars out of Coca Bolo. Yeah. And most of that stuff is flats on and has knots in it and it tends to crack really easily. Um, so I've sealed a whole back, not just to use it as paste filler, but to fix eight or ten cracks at a time. Wow. And it's nasty. It's yeah. a nasty job. Um, to strip the back, not that. Not that part, but take a like a half a uh, half a paper towel, fold it up into like a two inch square, and we had a lot of super glue there, so you could just saturate that with a rubber glove. Sure. And just start wiping it on. And a respirator. Yeah, I do it in the spray booth with a respirator. Those super glue. But you know, are, if you hit rough. super glue on a, a paper towel or a Q tip, at some point it will start to like burn. Yeah. 
Yeah, you see this little wisp of smoke coming out. It's the craziest thing. I so you have like a eight second little window to get as much wiped on there, and then yep. when your hand starts to feel hot in the plastic glove, you rip it off and throw it in the trash and yep. start another one. Yeah, I'll use thin CA glue on a Q-tip, and you can yeah. you can almost do like a French polish with it. Totally, it's such an interesting. Uh, thing and then it once it cures it's instant it's it's ready to go it's it doesn't um it doesn't require really more time other than if you're working with lacquer and you've used ca glue on lacquer what the ca glue can do is soften the lacquer a little bit oh yeah so you so you want to wait in at least a day before you start sanding and polishing otherwise you'll have witness lines but um man if you're working with poly and you've got some kind of a super glue touch-up, man, as soon as that glue's dry, you're ready to go. You can scrape it, sand it, polish it just right there. It's like a, it's just the fastest process. Yeah. It's pretty slick. I've used it. I've used super glue as pore filler a few times on the custom guitars that I make, which are ash bodies. And I do like right. it. It's, it's just such a mess. It's such a mess. Yeah. And it, it, um, the fumes are awful, and uh, but I do I do like <clears throat> I do like using it as a base underneath lacquer. It seemed like it really worked well. Like I've had a lot of luthiers tell me that lacquer won't spray over super glue, and I don't know why they think that because I've done it a hundred times and it it they're absolutely compatible. Yeah, I've done repairs also. I've I found you have to spray a little more. Um, if you have like a super glue repair next to to bare wood, um, well sealed wood, the lacquer tends to like shear off flatter than the surrounding areas. Hmm. It's almost like you're spraying some lacquer over a little peak, like a little mirror. Hmm. And so it's show, I've had to build it a few more coats to get that. If there's a a large patch of of a super glue repair, but no, it's it, lacquer sits on super glue just fine. Yeah, if it, and you have to you know prep it properly, like sanding it just lightly, so that the glue. Oh yeah, so yeah. That, so that the lacquer will stick. Now you always have to get a little bite in there of something. Yeah. For the lacquer to grab to. What else can we talk about, man? I've been having. Um, I've been having a lot of requests for stainless frets lately. This is something that I, well, I have strong opinions on, and I kind of felt like the stainless fret thing was going to go away. Like it was a, it was popular for a while, and I thought, eh, this is going to pass. And I'm wrong. It's it. I was totally wrong. It's um just as popular as ever, if not more so. And I've been having a lot of people ask me to put stainless frets in, and I just I. I hate working with them so much that I refuse to do it. I'm curious what your take is on stainless frets. Do you use them? Um, no, no, I don't. I've only <laughs> used them a few you're... times. Well, we put them in some acoustic guitars at Taylor when they first came out. Yeah. Some artists, you know, oh, I got to have these. I'm tired of getting fret dresses. And on acoustic guitars, at least ours, I can't say this across the board, there was a noticeable change in tone. Yeah. 
Um, well, it makes sense. Not, it's the it's the contact the point. It's the contact point for the string. Yeah. So it's going to influence I mean, it, how the string sounds. Totally, totally. And it didn't make him sound terrible, but it changed what our brand sounded like. Yeah. Um, and so we said, no, we're not doing this for anyone. We we don't get like that. Electric guitars, I've heard varying degrees of tone stuff. I the the Jeskar EVO stuff is just as good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get people to get past the gold look, yeah. Um, but that's a great wearing wire that I've put in artist guitars, and, and it has it, worn very well. And it's easier to work with than stainless. It's it's a maybe like a if stainless is a hundred percent hard to work with, the Jeskar is like seventy or eighty percent. What is the uh, what is the metallurgy of the of that fret wire? Do you know? So traditional fret uh, wire is. I think there's some titanium and copper oh, in there. I okay. think. Okay. That's what gives it the color. Yeah. The, the people I've run into that didn't like it the most because of the color thing were old guys. Mm. Which, well, maybe my age and older. I'm yeah. fifty. Hey, that's us, man. Because, we're old. We're old guys now. <laughs> because they would equate that that um that brass color fret to yeah. cheap guitars sure because uh, you know uh, yeah. all the ones that came out of the chicago factories yeah the, they just see that and go oh that's not something i'm going to play i already know it's a pile of junk right and you tell them you got this great new fret wire and they see it and they go oh it's an association yeah they associate it with that the crappy brass frets or whatever they were they look brass i don't know what they are but that a lot of the K and Harmony guitars in the 60s had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Traditional fret wire is nickel and copper and tin, I think. They call it nickel silver, but there's actually no silver in it. So with the, Yeah, I think you're right. The EVO, yeah. they add titanium, which is interesting. Huh. I think there's some titanium in there, but also some copper to bond the titanium or something. I'm yeah. sure someone will chime in and tell me I'm an idiot yeah. or wrong, but um, I I had a friend that was, a, or a customer that was building guitars out of aluminum that talked to someone there and one of their chemists or um, alchemy guys and he told me there was titanium in there. Hmm. But they couldn't get away from that color without using another alloy. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think that's the case. Yeah. Um, here's something... <laughs> Here's something that we might disagree on. When I <clears throat> have a guitar on my bench, unless it has Fender-style safety posts, I tie the string around the post where the extra string com- comes around and then under the other part of the string. And a lot of luthiers do it this way. But And then up. Yeah. Up under the string. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you do it? No. Well, that's how I was taught to do it. Um which is no, that's it's like a little uh, little half hitch in there. Yeah, it's like a little half. No, hitch. No, that's a great no. way to do it because you can see it actually, you know, cinch down on itself. Sure. The thing that I that really bothers me um, is when people wrap it around the post and then stick it back through the post two oh, or three times. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm trying to. Well, it doesn't accomplish anything. Cut those little loops with my nippers. Or using a, 
a pick to pull them out yeah and getting stabbed by the string and it seems like the same people that do that also wrap the entire string on the post yeah you'll end up with like 20 wraps around the post the whole ball it's like mm-hmm. i paid for this string i'm going to use it all yeah and i'm going to put the string through the post two or three times as many as i can fit yeah that's yeah it's frustrating yeah and then they wonder hey I'm having tuning problems, and I can't figure out why. Like, really? Exactly. Really? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and the other thing, people it, people have tuning problems, and then they, even if they're putting the string on properly, they just immediately suspect that it's the tuner, so they want locking tuners. Yeah. And that drives me bananas. Well, it's nice to get back to, you know, meeting customers face-to-face. At my last job, I never saw the customer or talked to them, mm. um, so I couldn't show them. You only need like two to three wraps of string around the post. Yeah. It could show you how to cut it to distance or measure and put it through, bend it, start winding. I like to put one wrap above the string and then the rest down below. That also kind of cinches down on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good way to do it. When the, It seems like vintage Gibson guitars, they don't have very much capstan sticking up above the headstock, and so oftentimes... That's how I'll do it on those, is one wrap above and then a few below. Yeah, just to get at least two and a half wraps around there. Mm-hmm. I know what you're saying, because there's just no room. Yeah, there's no room for the the uh, half-hitch thing with two, three wraps underneath it, especially on the bass strings. And then on the fenders, I'm sure you teach your customers this too. If you only have one string tree, you've got to put like four or five or more wraps on the, the D string. The D, D and, string, yeah, the D and G. that string break angle over the nut. You mm-hmm. just put one or two wraps, it's just going to be going straight across the nut, and they go, Yeah. My string sounds like crap, or it buzzes. Yeah, and I see that a lot on Fender basses. Guys will bring me their bass and saying, Man, it's really got a bad buzz at the nut. <clears throat> yeah. And they've only got like half a wrap around the tuner. Like, well, this is, believe it or not, this is the solution to your problem. You need at least three wraps around these, uh, especially the E and A strings where there's no string tree. Yeah. You just hold the guitar up and go, see, your string is just going straight across. Yeah. Yep. It could even be just floating in the nut, not even touching the bottom. Yeah, right. Right, which makes it, it turns it into a really nice bassy sitar when you play that, <laughs> that open note. Do you do a lot of neck resets? I think we talked about some neck resets last time to, we talked. yeah. I used to, no, I had a pretty big customer base um, outside of work in San Diego. So, yeah, I would get, um, it seemed like I'd be doing maybe one a month. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked about that a little bit. And tailors are easy. We, They're easier because it's bolt-on, but when you run into, like, Gibson, Martin, Guild, those are trickier. Yeah, the Martins are pretty easy. Usually it's the, the Gibson and Guilds. Which I don't know if I'm going to do that anymore. Especially Guild. Yeah. I've done a lot of Gibsons, and I, you know, I'm, I'm acclimated to, to that Guild. I don't know what they're. They really weren't made to come apart, in my opinion. They were not thinking about neck resets when they built those guitars. Yeah, because a lot of times you end up with the side of the heel is glued to the side of the guitar. Right, instead of just the dovetail, 
Yeah, the cheeks are glue. Yeah, the cheeks are glued, and then they'll put this thick finish over top of it. So you've got to cut through the finish. Yep. And then there's glue where you can't really get to it to steam it. You know, you can get in the dovetail joint, but all you can do is just over steam it and hope that you can get that glue that's up on the actual sides of the guitar softened. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. I think the last guild I did was a 12-string, which... Oh, man. Of course. And they all need neck resets. I mean, have you seen a guild 12-string older than the 20 years that didn't need a neck reset? Like, they 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 always need one, and it's just the last job on earth that I want to do. You know what? The last one I did, I got a, I got a break on it. And actually, I have a... Another suggestion of maybe just some neck resets in general. The last one I did had a strap pin installed into it, so that actually hit the pocket of the dovetail. Oh, so really? all the steam was coming out of the hole hmm. instead of like around the fingerboard extension and mm-hmm. sides. So I could just let it sit on there <clears throat> until it all came apart because I had this exit hole mm-hmm. and I didn't have to make a huge mess. But there's a there was a a huge repair guy, Urus in San Diego. He owned the blue guitar. He was world famous, mainly for classical guitars. One of the repair guys worked for him for quite a while. He would take the heel cap off on guitars and drill in from the bottom. Really? And especially if it's something easy like a black heel cap that you can replace. Yeah. You know, or a ivoroid one or something simple. Um, so if I do get another guild or Gibson that's given me a lot of problem, I will probably also use that route as well. Hmm. I had to do a neck reset on a Gibson 335 a while ago. Oh, fun. And the way, no, not really. But the way that the strap button is on that, that's, oh, sure. that's what I used. That's what I used to, to get in there. You know, I drilled. It was right there. Yeah. 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 Just like a SG too, right? Yeah. I don't know how... No, I've never, I've never done a neck reset on an electric guitar, a Gibson. I don't know how Gibson would do it if... <clears throat> yeah. I've never had to do a Les Paul, thankfully. I don't know how you would. I'm sh- I mean, I can imagine. There's information out there online. Yeah. You do it just the same, but I think you pull a couple frets, and you have to find out the the width of that tenon. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my good friend at Taylor Guitars... He's been there for over 30 years. He's done several. I do um, know that depending on the year of the Gibson, you can remove the neck pickup and you can see yep. you can see the tenon right there. And there's, there's yep. short tenon Les Pauls and long tenon Les Pauls. And uh, the long tenon Les Pauls might be easier because you can access the tenon right there through the neck pickup hole. Right. But on the other hand, the short tenon might be easier because there's less gluing surface. So I don't know. I just, it's, that's out of my wheelhouse. There's, there's things that are outside of my wheelhouse, which I absolutely fully admit, and that I'm just not an expert in. And that's one, that's one of the things. Les Paul neck resets. And thankfully, you almost never see one that needs a neck reset. So I just remember seeing those ones from the 70s that had that, not the uh, Nashville style bridge, but that flat bridge. Really wide, flat, um, all cast um, 
it's like an inch. Oh wide. yeah, the the harmonica bridge. Yeah. That's what they call it. I saw a lot of those that needed neck resets where you couldn't lower that any further. Yeah. And the action was still high. Mm. But I haven't seen any vintage ones. A lot of guys will take because the the value of late 50s Les Pauls are so high. A lot of guys will take earlier Les Pauls and <clears throat> which have a which have a different neck angle because they had a different um bridge. Uh, they'll take earlier Les Pauls and do a neck reset on it and then make it into a, basically make it into a burst, which I don't know how I feel about that. I'd, I'd rather see vintage guitars left alone. They're trying to increase the desirability and the value of the guitar by converting it, but, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, no, every repairman needs to learn his limitations, and um, there's things that I won't touch either. Yeah. When it comes to vintage guitars, man, there was a guy, oh, it used to drive me crazy. There was a guy in Seattle who would just do whatever you wanted on your vintage guitar. You you could bring him a 50s 335 and say, hey, put a Floyd Rose on this and paint it sparkle green. And he sure would without right. any questions, without any conversation about, well, th I would do that, except that this is going to destroy the value of your instrument. And so people would, you know, then years later you'd see them come in or even not even years, but you'd see them come in to uh, the shop where I was and they'd want an appraisal because they realized this was a vintage guitar that was valuable. They'd say, hey, I want to get an appraisal or I want something done on this. I'd say, man, well, before you had this work done, it was worth, you know, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000. But now... We're looking at, you know, maybe a third of that. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. When, uh, yeah. And you wonder, do, like, the repairmen that do that kind of stuff, do they just not know or do they just not care or do they think that their work is so good that they're enhancing the value of the guitar or do they, do they just operate under the customer is always right banner and whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't know. I never understood that. Yeah. It's all kind of part of a time frame too. I mean, when you and I started in the early nineties, we were kind of coming out of the, the medieval age. Yeah, sure. With guitar repair. There was no, no resources really. There was some acoustic guitar building books. There was the Hideo Kamimoto book. Yeah. I think Dan had just written his ultimate guide to guitar setup. Yep. Those were the books I had. But the only thing you would get was the paperback Stu Mac catalog, and me and my partner would race to be the first one to look at it and look for Dan's uh, tip of the month. Yeah. And it looked scanned for any new tools that came out. Yeah. But there was no internet. No. So, and there was this idea, like this old school notion, you know, I mean, you look at, like, Midnight special rock videos from the seventies or something. There's nobody playing a black card telly. So if somebody had their dad's old telly in the seventies, it was an embarrassment. Like yeah. <clears throat> their your buddies would say, Hey man, paint that thing black. That is an embarrassment to our band. We cannot be seen with that backwards country guitar, you know? And so they'd route it out. There was one guy out there, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's it. That's about it. One yeah. guy. Yeah. We we don't need a Bruce in our band. Yeah. Get some metal flake on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting, interesting times. And now that's why so many of those guitars are, you know, the ones that are untouched are worth even more because so many of them were bastardized in the 70s and 80s. Right. <clears throat> when my friend, my friend that taught me all this in Denver, he went to Red Wing uh, School in Minnesota. He did really well there. He actually built two acoustic guitars in the time you were only expected to build one. One of them was actually a flat top acoustic bass that was in Acoustic Guitar Magazine at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first job he got when he got back to Denver was for a guy that would do anything. And he wanted him to alter a early 60s Telecaster. And my friend, he had, he listened to a lot of like uh, punk rock and um, progressive music where those guys were actually still playing old guitars or unaltered guitars. Mm-hmm. And he refused. He said, no, I'm not going to screw this up. And he got fired. Wow. And that's when he opened his own shop. Um, but he had already had that mentality from seeing like Sonic Youth and um, all these other bands that, you know, Slash was also one of the first people. It's like, wow, this guy's getting some great tone. There's no whammy bar or nothing. Yeah. You know? Right. Using. And that we were, we started all this in that time period when people started to switch to, wow, these vintage guitars are are actually cool and sound yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I always think about um, this with cars, too. I don't know if you're a car guy, but I'm a, a car guy. I'm a car guy. I have a, I have a 1952 Oldsmobile. Oh, there you go. And uh, it's redone a little bit, but it's done, you know, tastefully and to the time period. Like, right. when I go to a car show... That's the cars I want to see, either original or restored to original. It drives me, it drives me bonkers when I see like some really awesome old car that's been cut up, and they paint it banana yellow and put flames on it, and put like you know, nineteen eighties bucket seats in it, with, yeah, with a goofy little steering wheel and a. Sun sunroof and louver the hood. It's like, man, you ruined oh, this car. Ruined, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, everybody's got. Uh, there's no accounting for taste, right? But <clears throat> I just, I hate to see that, man. And it's the same thing with guitars. I just hate to see hacked up, beautiful old guitars. Fortunately, they made more cars than guitars. They did, I and think. and it doesn't seem to. There, there's guys willing to pay for you know, custom hot rod guitars, it doesn't destroy the value of an old car like it does with a guitar. For me, it does. Like, I wouldn't buy a, a car that's been all hacked up and made to look like like a modern car. Like, that's not what I want. Right. But with guitars, now there's people like you, Nacho, where you can get that guitar that you've always wanted. Oh, like a recreation, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of guys doing that. And you don't have to spend $50,000. Yeah. Yeah. And so many... That's kind of the reverse of what we're talking about. Because a lot of people cringe at relic or aged guitars. And a lot of... You know, I'll talk to people who, before they realize that that's what I do, 
they'll start talking about uh, the guys that like relic guitars are nuts. That's the most tasteless <laughs> thing, you know, and that's fine. I, it doesn't offend me, you know. I mean, sure, I'm hard to offend anyway. You really have to go out of your way, but, um, but I, it doesn't bother me at all because I realize that it's not everybody's bag, you know, it's not everybody's thing, but I certainly have plenty of customers who <clears throat> are happy with what I do and who want guitars like I make them. So it's not really a problem. No. Yeah. It seems like you can't make them fast enough. No, I really can't. I really That's can't. That's a great it's, problem to have. It is a good problem to have, but it's also, yeah, the la yeah, I, I won't get into my personal life. The last couple of years have been tough and I've been trying to make more guitars, but, uh, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge with just how how things have worked out and my time management with my family life. So, right, yeah, I kind of know how that goes too. It's been a rough a rough start here in Texas for us, but things yeah. are looking better. Good, yeah, things are looking better here for me too, man. And I'm getting back into you know back into the rhythm, back into my groove here. Nice, yeah. Hey, man. Well, I think I speak for all the listeners. I mean, you and Nate are killing it. I really enjoy your what you guys are putting out lately. Oh, thanks. He's <clears throat> been a great addition. I love his uh, his his expertise on the etymology. <laughs> Nat is really smart. Like he's you could tell Delph genius. Like he really is a super bright guy. That uh, um can also play dumb as much as he needs to for the podcast. <laughs> he can bring it down to my level for me, you know. And you guys have been friends for a while, it seems like, right? I've known Nat for at least 20 years, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we grew up in the Amazing. same town. We grew up in the same town. He's a little older than me, and we went to different high schools, but I think we met in the late 90s, I think. And then he lived in well, he lived in Seattle for a while, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you guys make a great team. And you have a great rapport together. Good, thanks. Thanks. It's amazing that someone you've known for twenty years is like, "Hey, I need a new partner on the podcast." How about you? Well, it was an obvious choice because um, I just have the one friend. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, well, who am I going to have co-host this podcast with me? I don't want to do it by myself. Um, and so, Nat was the obvious choice because. So you looked at your phone, and it was all yeah. customers, and then one friend. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I guess I'm in interviewing you now. Yeah, right. That's okay. Well, I'm going to let you go, man. We've, yeah, man. We've been at it over an hour, and there's things we could. Uh, there's still more. We could. We could do this for hours. There's a lot to talk about, but in the interest. Oh, well, I've got a of... pretty good list that I haven't shared with you for the Halloween special. So... Oh yeah. Well, but we... I don't know. If... I could write a small book on that. We I, we might have to do an interview um, to talk about it because for horror some of the stories, stories are yeah kind of crazy. I've been thinking about the Halloween episode for this year. I don't know what I'm going to do because it seems like uh, there's been a lack of participation. I've been doing this for so long. Everybody put in their horror stories, and now there's like it's like there's none left. So maybe we'll oh yeah maybe we'll do that for uh, the October. Uh, podcast. Yeah, you switched to the gigging stories, right? Oh, yeah, right. That's right. I forgot about that. We did gig 
horror stories, which were great. Yep. I have a lot of those. <clears throat> Probably more of those than yeah. guitar horror stories. Well, I've got, a, some, got some, some stuff in my back pocket. Sometimes gig horror stories and guitar horror stories cross paths, you know, when somebody's guitar gets smashed at a gig or something. Yeah, straps come off. and. I just recently had a guy... Uh, I just recently had a guy, so I, Emerald City Guitars in Seattle is my only dealer for, for the guitars that I make. Yep. I sell them direct and I sell them through Emerald City. So I, I sent one to Emerald City Guitars. They sold it to a fellow who immediately got on a plane and flew home, got to the airport in his hometown, walked out to his car, was loading up his car, hopped in the car, and backed right over the guitar. Broke the neck. It was in a black gig bag, and it just blended right in with the pavement. And he had owned this guitar for like less than a day, and ran over the neck. That's in my shop right now. I'm going to put a new neck on it for him. But what do you do? I mean, I felt so bad for the guy, but it's like, you know... it's not any kind of a warranty situation, my friend. You ran it over, so I have to charge him. Have, but Yeah, you're going to have to buy the guitar one and a half times now. Yeah, it sucks, but he understood He understood that, but it's just, it just sucks, you know? Uh, a brand new guitar, and he just, he backed right over it. <clears throat> it's kind of sad. In 19 years in the repair department at Taylor, you'd, you'd be shocked at how many times guitars get run over by cars yeah i well i'm not shocked because i've heard i've heard a lot of i've heard about a lot of guitars getting run over it's worse when it's a tour bus though yeah and it's worse when it's an acoustic yeah under a tour bus oh man because then you end up with um a really expensive uh pile of toothpicks right yeah yeah I had a customer at my shop at Denver, uh, really happily left with his Strat, and our my bench looked straight out the window, out the front door to the street, and the customer walked out to the car and got in and drove away, and about five minutes later, I looked up, and there was a the guitar still sitting there, actually in the street, like <laughs> it was on the driver's side. He had set it down to unlock the car and just got in and drove off. Oh, man. <laughs> And here's this guitar just sitting out there on the street. How long did it take before he came back? Uh, well, long enough before I could get a hold of him. I mean, there was no cell phones back then, so I think I had to wait for him to get home. Wow. And say, hey, are you missing something? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, Dave. Well, All I, right. I will talk right to you again. next time, man, and I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. Yeah. And I... I, I certainly uh, enjoy listening to your show. Good, thanks. Fortnite. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, man. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files Podcast. If you want to participate in the show, go to my website. That's ericdaw.com E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com Click the contact link, send in your question or comment, and uh, we'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. That number again is 757-774-8482. We'll talk to you next time.